0: God bless everybody. Welcome to thy word. Let's go ahead and uh, begin with prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for thy word. I thank you for all those who have come. And I ask that this be a blessing to everyone who hears it, Lord. And I hope that it finds hungry hearts, God, that the seed of the word can go and find good ground in which to grow into fruit, I pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, 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 amen. It's all about him. And we are in Matthew part 17, and when we were last together, Jesus was continuing in his ministry. We looked at the most uh, common title Jesus used for himself, which is the Son of Man, and how this was a messianic title of the one who would rule an everlasting kingdom as the King of kings. And we also discussed that uh, he came not to rule, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came as the suffering servant, the one pictured by Isaiah, who took the punishment of our iniquities and by whose stripes we are healed. And we talked about the dead bearing the dead, and how every prior contract and prior relationship is superseded by our relationship with Jesus. We saw him calm the storm with his words, cast devils from demoniacs and allowed them to enter swine. And uh, I wanted to say this, but I, I left it out. It was the first time ever in the history of the world that we were introduced to deviled ham. <laughs> and uh, we saw him heal the paralytic, forgive sins, and we saw the call of Matthew and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And now we now continue in... Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 14. And the Bible reads, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? I like this because we understand that fasting is a type of mourning. Because they're not fasting because the friends of the bridegroom Don't mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, who is the bridegroom? Jesus Jesus Christ. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break... The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. So we spoke extensively in Matthew part 9 on the subject of biblical fasting, where we looked at the principles of fasting, the spirit in which fasting should be done. We compared how the Pharisees and the hypocrites fasted to how we should fast. And to sum it all up, the purpose of fasting is to afflict the soul. And we talked about how the soul is our mind, our will, and emotions. It is a way of humbling ourself before God and to say, not my will, but your will be done. Not what I think not uh, things should be, but and not how I feel things should be, but how you want them to be. It is a renewing of the mind and of the heart. And here the Lord said that while he, the bridegroom, was present with his disciples, his disciples did not fast. Then Jesus revealed something his disciples did not yet know, and that is that he would be taken away from them. As we talked about last time, they were expecting for him to begin to rule, to rule the everlasting kingdom as the everlasting king. And now he's letting them know the bridegroom will be taken away. Uh, Jesus Christ will fulfill every prophecy of the Messiah in the Old Testament, which means what? He has to come again. And he came once, he will come again. Um, The disciples were were still under the notion that they were following Jesus to political power, to honor and to glory, and they did not yet understand that the path they were on uh, was through tribulation. They would they would experience honor and glory. But it would be a path through tribulation, humiliation and the agony of crucifixion. The king of kings would come, the son of man prophesied to rule, and he would first come to serve and to suffer the death predicted in Isaiah 52 to 53 and in other Old Testament writings. Jesus was unveiling Part of the plan. He would not remain with his disciples but would be taken from them and then the Bible says they would fast and we should fast. There is a time that we have to go into mourning and we have to go to humble ourselves and to say, not my will but thine be done. And then Jesus continues, no one puts, and he does this in the light of his declaration that he would be taken away and that we would fast. And then he says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse, nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. If we are ever going to have revival, we must understand this. This is what we need to know for revival. Jesus used two examples here. First is the example of a new piece of cloth. Cloth that has never been washed, never shrunken by washing in water, being used as a patch on an old garment. So we have a contrast here between old and new. A new piece of cloth that's sewn onto an old garment would shrink the next time The garment is washed and would begin to pull away from the old garment, ruining the garment. You can use an old piece of cloth to patch up an old garment, but you can't use a new piece of cloth to patch up an old garment. You understand that it will ruin the garment. Then he used the analogy of new wine being placed into old wineskins. The old wineskins were once new wineskins. Uh, with new wine in them. But the fermentation process made the wineskins old. They lost their ability to stretch. And if one were to reuse them to make new wine, the process of fermentation would burst them and the wine would spill out onto the ground and the wineskins would be ruined. So Jesus is saying that the new cannot be used for the old and the old can't be used for the new. And I believe the interpretation of this was important in the time of Jesus' ministry, and it remains important for the church today. The main interpretation is that the religious structure of the Jews, which was under the law of Moses, would not be the foundation on or the framework by which Jesus would build his church. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was not adequate for what jesus came to do and teach that was the old garment and jesus had a new cloth he did not come to patch up the law of moses and to make it better amen he came to fulfill the law and to make a new covenant and an entirely new garment he did away with the old garment. he did away with the old wine skin. And now we have a new garment and we have a new wineskin. When we put ourselves under the law, it'll never work. That framework can no longer hold what the Lord has brought for us. It can't hold the new wine. The new wine would not be placed in the old wineskins of ritual temple sacrifice and laws concerning the cleaning of cups and utensils but in a whole new wineskin, an entirely different framework. The system of professional priests, scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees had to be relegated to the past in order to make way for something entirely new. But the system had been in place for 1,500 years. It was more than just a religion. It was their entire identity the laws, the customs, the rituals were who the people of Israel were, not just what they did. It was their identity. And that is why among the pious, the professional religious leaders, Jesus had very few. Followers, The idea of abandoning the rituals and sacrifices, the very temple at Jerusalem, was anathema to the Jewish leaders. But the framework of the Old Testament could not hold the new wine. Uh, and It could not hold the new wine of the covenant. It had to be exchanged for new wine skins. The church of the living God, a kingdom of priests, would replace the temple of Jerusalem. The Spirit of God had long departed from the Holy of Holies, leaving an empty religion based on works. That's what the religion is today, except now they don't even have a temple. Now they're only following maybe 40 uh, rules of uh, 613, 40 commandments of 613, because they do not have a temple and they have a work-based religion. The temple had done its job as the old wineskins had done theirs, but the new wine would be placed in new wineskins. The Spirit of God would dwell in new vessels, not in a temple made by hands, but in in a temple not made by hands. It was in something entirely new. The Lord came and He brought something entirely new. The old things were passed away. The, the, uh, the old law of Moses was annulled. You are not under the law. Every day it seems like I'm, I'm on Google somewhere and somebody is saying something or I put on a TikTok, which I'm very rarely on there, but when I am on there it's always something to do with Hebrew studies or Bible or something. And so this, this one man came on and he was talking about how it's Saturday, it's the Sabbath, you should not be working. And I'm looking at them and thinking, okay, well, what about the 612 other laws that you should be doing and can't be doing because there's no temple? It's very hard to go up to Jerusalem to the temple for the sacrifice of the Passover lamb when there's no temple, there's no high priest, and there's no king, there, there are no priests, active priests. It's very difficult to do that. You cannot keep the law. It's not even possible. And for someone to do that, they don't even understand that all of that was done away with. And the Pharisees, uh, the scribes, and the priests hated the idea of the old ways being replaced by something new. And that even if it meant the will of God, they hated the idea of their tradition, their religion being done away with. And we'll continue to see that the Jewish religious leaders were arrogant. They were proud. They were self-righteous. And they were at the pinnacle of Jewish society. They were at the cool kids table and everyone else that was not them were not at the cool kids table and they didn't want you to change where the cool kids sat they wanted everything to be exactly the way it was because it was in their benefit and it did not matter what the will of God was Uh, They and Jesus was bringing something new He was bringing and he threatened their political power, their standing, their prestige. And there were only a very few who humbled themselves and submitted to the will of God. Why do you think that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? He had to do it in secret because it could have ruined him politically. And we have that word again, humble. Humble. And that is why I believe that Jesus spoke of new versus old in the light of fasting. Because fasting is a tool for humbling oneself and submitting our wills to the will of God. It is a renewing of the soul and spirit. If we are going to have new wineskins for new wine, fasting will almost certainly be required. Paul was a Pharisee who in his pride, his zeal... For his religion persecuted the early Christians. But when the Lord Jesus revealed himself to him and spoke to him, he was blinded by the light that he saw. And I want to read in Acts chapter 9, verse 7 through 9, what the Bible says about him. The Bible reads, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So the first thing that Paul did was to fast. He neither ate food nor drank water. Why? Because he humbled himself. He had been working against the new religion, the people of the new way, the followers of Jesus and now he knew the truth the religion that he had followed with such zeal sold out a hundred percent sold out a Pharisee of Pharisees was now revealed to him to be wrong and God had a path for him to follow and it would not be an easy path but if he was going to truly do the will of God then he knew what he had to do and the Bible says he Fasted. He humbled himself. He would become a new wineskin for the new wine. Pharisee Paul could no longer do the will of God. God didn't want Pharisee Paul. God did not want Pharisee Saul, however you want to call him. Both the names are his. But he needed somebody who was submitted, someone who was committed, someone who said, not my will, but thine be done. If you are going to be a new vessel for the new wine, it must begin with, not my will, but thine be done. I'm sorry, God is not going to take your religion and start a revival with it. He's not going to do it. Never has, never will. I am convinced, and history bears out, that there will ne- God will never use a denomination for worldwide revival. He never has, He never will. He does not patch up old garments with new cloth. He does not put new wine in old wineskins. When He brings new revival, He does it through new wineskins. He does it through people who have humbled themselves, their will laid down. And this always includes fasting. Lord, not my will, but Thine be done. Not my tradition, not my denomination. Not my customs, not my rituals. My religion is worn out. It's dusty, inflexible, old skins. But Lord, please make us new again. And one recent example of this is the Azusa Street Revival. This was led in a large part by William Seymour, who was a black preacher and an outcast. He was excluded from other denominational churches for preaching about the gift of the Holy Spirit being restored to the church. He actually attended Bible school, but they made him sit outside and listen at the door because of the color of his skin, because of tradition. That's old wineskins. But God had his eye on that man. The, could, could a church, let me ask you this, could a church with that mindset ever have revival? No, absolutely not. It's old wineskins. And God doesn't use old wineskins because he's not foolish. Right? And so, uh, the old garments of churchdom, denominational Christianity, dusty, inflexible, and rigid, like old wineskins, were unusable by God. He needed willing vessels, newly committed, newly submitted to God in prayer and fasting. And he found them in a prayer meeting on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. And this sparked the Azusa Street revival which lit the world on fire. And do you know the main reason the denominational churches were against it? The Lord didn't use them. It wasn't a Baptist revival. It wasn't a Presbyterian revival. It was a revival of a rejected black man who was preaching the Word of God and therefore kicked out of churches, locked out. He actually was locked out of the last church that he was preaching in. No place to go. An empty, new wineskin. And look what God did. But I think that many churches that have their roots in that revival have become old garments, poorly patched with new, unshrunk cloth. I've been around this thing for a long time. I am a fourth-generation Pentecostal. Fourth generation, My great-grandmother received the Holy Ghost back in those days. And I'm telling you that many churches that have their roots in that revival have become rigid, inflexible wineskins. And unless they humble themselves with prayer and fasting, becoming new wineskins, they will soon be just another dusty, lifeless religion with tired rituals and ceremonies. They will be museums of Pentecostal history. Why not? It happened to every other denomination. We, and with religious works that, though they had their start in the reality of God's Spirit, are now merely customs, traditions handed down from generation to generation. Now, having said that, I believe that God has a plan for Upper Room Church. I believe that God is laying a foundation upon the A foundation. And in order to do that. Lord help me. Don't get me in trouble. In order to do that. God removed. What was on the prior foundation. He removed it. So that he could lay something new. And friend if you're a part of upper room right now. I believe that you are in the will of God. And will do the will of God. As he fills us with that new wine. But we have to remain. New wineskins. We cannot be inflexible. We cannot be old. We cannot be dusty. We cannot hold on to our old framework. We have to follow him and humble ourselves and say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. God's revival is always what the church thinks it's not going to be. The church wasn't expecting anything like Azusa Street. But God did it. And if you wanted to be in God's revival, it wasn't going to happen at the Presbyterian church. You had to be where God wanted you to be. Amen. And, and that's where Brother Seymour found himself. And by the way, Brother Seymour died broke, penniless, living in a rented house with one suit in the closet. Doesn't sound like a very successful preacher. But I'm telling you, he earned his way to glory and honor. And he's going to receive crowns. Amen, because he did the will of God. And many of those denominational preachers were living very well they had beautiful homes. They didn't suffer. They, they had a nice paycheck. They had the accolades of men. And we don't know their names. Amen. And that's all I have to say about that. So I am going to continue here. And um, in Matthew 9, verse 18... The Bible reads, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Now, this is a little bit different than the other gospel, but we'll explain that when we get there. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem. ...of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. I want you to be ready to play that video, Sister Jelani. Uh, We see here a woman with an issue of blood, and an issue of blood was the natural monthly flow of a woman, which under Levitical law made her ceremonially unclean. It was the time of the month. That's what the the regular issue of blood was. And there were laws. See how there's laws for everything. I mean, everything was a law. Everything was a rule. That's what the Old Testament is. That's what the law of Moses is. And there was even a law for this. And this was the natural monthly flow of a woman... And uh, there were rules for this with uh, being unclean during during the time and for a time afterwards. So let's look at the law to get an understanding of just what this woman had gone through for 12 years. I'll be reading out of Leviticus chapter 15 beginning with verse 19. And this is the law for the issue of blood. Or in this case we're going to say discharge because that's how it reads in Leviticus. If a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood... She shall be set apart seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or on anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days. And every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a man has a discharge of blood for many days other than that, or sorry, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days other than that, at the time of her customary impurity. Now this is what's going to cover our woman with the issue of blood. At one time in her life, she had her regular monthly flow. And normally it would stop, but it did not stop. And it continued. And this is where we find her. It continued not a month, not two months, not three months, not one year, not four years, not six years, for twelve years years and being a Jew she was under this law for 12 years so in all beyond her usual time of impurity all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity she shall be unclean every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity and whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity whoever touches those things shall be unclean he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening but if she is cleansed of her discharge then she shall count for herself seven days and after that she shall be clean I want you to imagine that that's the law And you don't go to the temple if you're unclean. She had not been to the temple in 12 years. This woman had an issue, a discharge of blood for 12 years. For 12 years she was ceremonially unclean. Anyone who touched her was unclean. Everything she sat on was unclean. And you can imagine the toll that this took on her and her family. If she was married... You can imagine that she had to sleep in a separate bed away from her husband. The Jews do today. Actually, they have, they'll, uh, uh, Orthodox Jews have two beds in the room that they pull together during certain times, and then when it, during that time they put it apart because he cannot touch her. And they're still doing that today. So she had to have her own bed. She had to have quarters or furniture separated from others in her home because every piece of furniture she sat upon was made unclean. Then of course, there were the other issues, the constant bleeding, causing iron iron deficiency, causing uh, anemia, which no doubt robbed her of her physical strength and stamina. She was likely in a constant state of fatigue, of depression, of exhaustion. And the nature of the issue of blood meant she could not have children. So she was effectively barren. And of course, There were the accusations by others, unspoken and whispered, that she was cursed by God for some secret sin, and that surely a righteous woman would not have been afflicted in such a manner. You lose friends when that happens. And I think she found herself, if not alone, she may as well have been alone. Mark, given an account of this incident, provides more details in Mark chapter five verse 25 through 28. Now, a certain man had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many or sorry, I keep saying man, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Go ahead, Sister Jelani. move now. Who touched me? Everybody back! They all have. Someone touched me. I felt that power went out of me. Whoever touched me? Come forward, teacher. <laughs> it was me. Just the fringe of your garment, only the edge, I promise. You are not unclean. Why my garment? I'm sorry, I, I know I should have asked. But if, if you touched me, it would make you ritually unclean according to the law. I, I was sick, I was sick for 12 years. I bled and, and, and no one could stop it. But, but I believed if I could just touch a piece of your garment. <laughs> and I was right. I was right. Thank you. Who told you I could heal? A man from the pool. And he was right. The blood has ceased. My daughter. I'm no one's daughter anymore. Look up. Yes, you are. Daughter. It wasn't my piece of clothing that healed you but it was instant, I felt it right away. I know, but it wasn't this. It was your faith. Jesus. Teacher, she was pleading so long, we can take her. She is clean. Blessed me today. And I know. My daughter, I know it has been a fight for you for so long. You must be exhausted. Go now in peace. Your faith has made you well. I wish I could stay here longer but I have business to attend to. Someone else has faith like yours. But I'm so glad that we found each other. So She had spent everything that she had she tried everything there was to try she had gone to the physicians looking for a cure but only grew worse she was desperate and somehow she heard about Jesus and I, I believe this is what the Lord wants not judgment not ritual compassion and somehow she heard about Jesus and I believe she believed he was the Messiah who was prophesied to come I believe this because she said within herself that if she could only touch his clothes she would be healed and she did touch his clothes but not just any part of his clothes they showed it on the video what part did she touch? And if you were Jewish, you would know exactly what part she touched. Because it's called the seat seat. And we're going to get into that. This is important because of a passage in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. In the law and the prophets, he said, they speak of me. He said, the law and the prophets, they speak of me. It's all about him. And in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 which was believed both during and before the time of Jesus by the ancient Hebrew writers to be a prophecy of the coming Messiah. It reads, But to you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Now, I think it is worth the time to examine this scripture very closely in the light of this woman with the issue of blood. The first part of the Scripture states the sun. This is S-U-N, Son, and not S-O-N, Son. And in reading this passage, some ancient Hebrew writers, before the birth of Jesus, believed that the Messiah would appear on the fourth day, in their thinking, the 4,000th day from creation. And they believed this because the sun was created on the fourth day. And we understand that from Adam to Abraham was 2,000 years. And from Abraham to Jesus was 2,000 years. That is 4,000 years. And Peter used this same formula in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Where he wrote, but beloved do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. Day. So Jesus came on the fourth day from creation, the 4,000th year. You will remember from our study on the Passover that, that the Passover lamb was to be chosen on the 10th day of the month Nisan and held unto the 14th day of the month Nisan. That was four days. And on the fourth day, the Passover lamb was slain. And Jesus came on the scene, the Son of Righteousness, the Passover Lamb, on the 4,000th year from creation. The second part of Malachi's prophecy said the Son of Righteousness would have healing in His wings. Now this is where reading in Hebrew becomes very helpful. Now the Hebrew word here for wings is Bekhanafiah, Bekanafea, or if you're Hebrew it's probably Beknefiah, but I'm not very good at translating, I do a lot of reading. And and the root word is the root word here is kanaf. So we're looking for the word kanaf. Beknafiah so we have kanaf in the middle of that word and the the root word here is kanaf, which can mean the wing of a bird but it also means the edge of a garment. In fact, I have been reading the New Testament in an Israeli translation from Greek into Hebrew. It's a direct translation from the Greek into the Hebrew. And in the Hebrew version of Mark 9 and verse 20, the woman with the issue of blood touched Bechanaf Begdo. And uh, Bechanaf Begdo it means in the kanaf. The wing, the corner, the edge, the hem of Begdo, his garment. I believe this woman knew who Jesus was. He was the Messiah, the Son of Righteousness. And if He was the Son of Righteousness, then the Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, there is healing in the hem of His garment. And the border... The edge, the corner of the garment was significant to the sons of Israel. God gave a commandment to Moses concerning this part of the garment. And in every Israelite meal, uh, every Israelite male was to follow this commandment. We find this command in Numbers 15 and verse 37 to 39. And the Bible reads, Again the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments. Now, the word tassels here in Hebrew, tzitzit, tzitzit, tzit, through their generation, on the corners, of the, uh, their, the, the corners of their garments through their generations. And to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. In the video, how many people saw the blue thread in the tassel? See, that every male Jew had to have that. Jesus had it. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them and that you may not follow the harlotry with, to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. In Hebrew, the first part of Numbers 15 reads like this. If you are an Israeli, please forgive me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Debar el bine Yisrael vel Asulahim, sitzit al Big day him. So, in case you missed it, in the Hebrew, in the translation, the word here for the corners of the sons of Israel's garments is kanaf. It is the same word that is used in Malachi for wings. So, the son of righteousness would arise with healing in the corner corners of his garments. You see, that translation, uh, translation of that can only point to one person. So, amen. The son of righteousness would have healing in the corner's edge, border him of his garments. And finally, as a son of Israel, we know that Jesus had a tassel of blue, in Hebrew a seat seat in the four corners of his garment. And the garment that's mentioned here is, is called the talit. It is what many call the prayer shawl, which is still worn by Orthodox Jews today. And on four corners of the garment were these tassels or seat seats. Tradition tells us that the tassels were tied in a way to represent the commandments, the 613 laws of the Mosaic, the Mosaic government uh, covenant, or in short, the Word of God. They represented the Word of God, the Torah. The law of Moses. They were the word of God. And this is what the woman with the issue of blood touched when she touched the hem of his garment. And like what happened to the leper when Jesus touched him, the one who was unclean became clean. See, that's who we're serving here. Jesus did not become unclean. She became clean. No matter how unclean a person may be, they can never make Jesus unclean. But one touch from Him, and the unclean person can be made clean. So we have here that the Word, the Devar Yehovah, who was from the beginning, walked among humanity, surrounded by a multitude. The woman with the issue of blood Believed what the Word of God said through Malachi that the Son of Righteousness, the Messiah, would arise with healing in the border, the corner, the hem, the kanaf of His garments. And her faith... You know, I love the Word of God. This is why I love it. It just continues to go and grow. Who is the Devar Yehovah? We talked about this. The One, the Word of God of the Old Testament is Jesus, and the one who spoke through the prophets was the Devar Yehovah, Jesus is the one who prophesied through Malachi that there would be healing in the border of his garments, and now we see that very one, the word of God, walking among humanity, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And she believed it. She believed that the Son of Righteousness, the Messiah, would arise with healing in the border corner. Him, kanaf of His garments. And her faith in the Word caused her to do something she would never have done before. Because she knew that if this Jesus of Nazareth was just another rabbi, her touch would make Him unclean. But if He was the one about whom Malachi had prophesied, then her healing could be found in the hem of his garment. And pushing her way through the crowd, she reached him. Coming behind him, she touched the part of the garment, the tassel, the seat seat that signified the word of God. She put her faith in the word. And immediately virtue, power, came out of him and entered her. That's what happens when you put your faith in his word. As Psalm 107, 19 through 20 promised. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distress. He sent his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. There are two things going on. One, he's saving One, two, he's healing. One, he's saving. Two, he's healing. Let's look again in closing at how Mark finishes this story. In Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 29. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself... That power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman fearing and trembling. Trembling. God, how desperate she must have been to go against her very religion. The religion that had been the religion of the land for 1,500 years said she could not touch him. She couldn't push her way through the crowd because she couldn't touch anybody in it. That's why the Lord loves mercy and not sacrifice. He's not interested in the blood of animals. He's interested in mercy and compassion, love and faith. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith, Has saved you. I know it says made you whole. That's not what it says in the Greek. The word is sozo. In the Greek. In fact in the Hebrew translation of this. It's Yehoshua. Saved you. She wasn't just healed. She was saved. By what? By faith. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Shalom. And be healed of your affliction. I'm going to leave my notes here for a minute because that's the end of them. I really feel led to say this. Shalom. Shalom. is a word that means completely complete. Whole. It's often translated whole. If I were to pay for something, it's to pay is le, sh, le shalim. Le shalim. It's, it, it's, it's from the root of shalom. Le shalim. We are at peace. I don't owe you anything anymore. I can take what I bought and leave and you're not going to hunt me down because we're at peace. We're, I, le shalim. I paid. I paid. Shalom. Peace. Her faith had saved her, and she departed in Shalom. When Jesus was on the cross, in the Greek, it's "tetelestai," te, te, te which means completely complete and perfectly perfect. But Jesus didn't speak Greek. He might have. And I'm going to I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, especially with all the all the uh, the doctors and, and all that kind of stuff. He didn't regularly speak Aramaic either. And I can prove it to you. When Jesus was on the cross and where the Bible says he said "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," that is a transliteration and a very poor one. It's not a translation, it's not a transliteration. It's not a, it, it's it's a transliteration of what he actually said. But what it, there is nothing in Aramaic that matches "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." It does, that's not how it, you would say "my God, my God." Why have you forsaken me? But in Hebrew, it's a direct quote of Psalms chapter 22. Eli, Eli, lama al He was speaking Hebrew. But we're not going to get into that. But, well, that's important. And I'll tell you why it's important. When Jesus said, it is finished, the word he would have said was, Neshilem. It is Shalom. It is peace. It is completely complete. It is completely whole. And church of God, when we believe, when we have faith in what the Word of God says, as this woman with the issue of blood, He said, Daughter! Why? Because from that moment, she was no longer a stranger. She was a daughter of the kingdom by faith. Your faith has sozo saved you. Go in shalom. It's not in my notes. But I don't care how dirty you are. I don't care how unclean you are. I don't care how unholy you think you are. I don't care how unrighteous you think you are. When you go to the cross and you look at Him... And you see what the Word of God says, which is that He gave His life a ransom for many. He paid the price, le shalem, for your shalom. That when you believe, the moment you believe, He looks down. And He says, Daughter, Son, Neshalem. It is completely complete. It is completely complete. That's what the Bible says. What are you saying, Brother Taylor? Are you saying that I shouldn't be baptized? You absolutely should be. When you go to the cross, you die. There's no such thing as an unbaptized Christian anywhere in the Scripture. Should I not receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? Of course you should. Did Abraham was Abraham a son of God was Abraham a believer was Abraham counted righteous before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised what does the law say before when he believed God God counted his faith as righteousness you and I you don't have a debt to me we have peace the debt is paid now the debt wouldn't be paid for another 2,000 years That Jesus paid the debt. Now, did Abraham have to be circumcised afterwards? Yes. Because when you walk in faith, you do the will of God. Amen. But I'm here to say that there is nothing, nothing that God can not forgive. If you want to kick me out of the church, you can do that. It's okay, the Lord will, will, will take me somewhere. Well, Lonnie never smiles when I say this. The Lord will take me somewhere else. But let me tell you this. If you ever get a chance, and you're in a hospital, and there's a man, and he's got five minutes to live, and you can bring Jesus to him, and you can tell him about the cross, and the one who died for him. The Lord could raise him up. But if the Lord doesn't raise him up, Give that man the gospel. Leave him in the hands of God. I've got five minutes so I'm going to say this. God, I'm just so led to do it. There's a man next to Jesus on the cross. and Another man next to Jesus on the cross. They were both filthy sinners, unrighteous, clean, unholy, worthy of their punishment like you and I are. And one... In like fact, they both cast into the teeth this accusation of Jesus Christ. They made fun of Him just like everybody else around the cross. But at one moment, one looked over and saw Him. And really looked at Him. And something in Him, had to just, just He just had to have an illumination, an understanding. This is the One. And I don't know what He's doing up here dying with me, because that doesn't make any sense. But this is the one. This is the one that that would come. This is him. And he looks over at Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord turns to him and says, Today, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, you guys are all students of of the Bible. You understand the law. The law is the law. Just like like we have the law today, and we have lawyers who come and interpret the law, who fight for the law in court. We have judges who make rulings on the law. So let me ask you this. Did the man die in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Under the law. And the answer is it all depends on whether he died before Jesus or if he died after Jesus. Because the moment Jesus died, there was a new covenant purchased with his blood and the Bible says they went to break the legs of the ones on the cross and they broke the legs of the one on the right and the one on the left but they did not break Jesus' legs because he had already died the price had been paid and that man never knocked on a door he never told anybody the gospel he, he, he never went to Pentecost he never got baptized he had nails in his hand he couldn't do it he couldn't do nothing nothing at all nothing there were no works that he could do. And somebody said, and I like this, I watched this on a video, and I'm, I'll, I'm not going to exactly repeat him, but i just tell you it's not all for me. But That when that man went to heaven, and of course it's not going to be like this, but when the angel meets him at the gate and he says, Who are you? Says, oh, I'm "Just, I'm a robber. I'm a sinner. Well, what, what are you doing here? Oh, I don't know. So what have you done that allows you to come into heaven? Did you attend church every Sunday and Wednesday night? No. Did you ever pay your tithes? No. Did you ever give the missions? No. Did you ever tell anybody about the gospel? No. Well, what did you do? I I didn't do anything. And then he says, well, I don't understand why you're here. And he goes and gets his supervisor. And the supervisor comes and he says... What are you doing here? I, I don't understand. Do you understand the, the doctrine of justification? Can you, can you quote me a, a scripture from the Old Testament? Did you, what, did you even go to Sunday school? No. I didn't do any of that. Well, why are you here? And the man just looked at him. And he said, all I can tell you is the man on the middle cross, the man on the middle cross, He said I could come. And church, I'm telling you that there's not one person in this world who is ever going to heaven for any other reason but that the man on the middle cross said they could come. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your truth. Lord, touch hearts. You came to serve. You came to have compassion. You came to have love. You came with good news of redemption. And then you gave your life a ransom for me. And I believe by faith, by faith that you're the one. Hey, Lord, you took my place. I'm Barabbas i'm a wicked man but you were nailed to my cross in my place and i love you and i thank you jesus for all that you've done jesus the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart